today, we are in Psalm 127. If you've got a Bible or an app or something of that nature, go ahead and open up to Psalm 127. We'd like you to keep it in front of you so you can see uh, God's Word as we're working our way through it. So uh, Psalm 127, as you're on your way there, it was written by, by Solomon, the, the son of King David. And it's one of only two psalms that, that we at least know that he wrote. Some are unauthored and he could have written. But uh, the other one, if you're curious, is Psalm 72. If you know anything about Solomon, you know he's most famously known for the writing of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's uh, one of my favorites, one we worked through a few years ago. And it was a really great time, even though it's a strange, strange book in a lot of ways. Uh, but you'll find that uh, even as this one begins, you, you notice a few themes from, from Ecclesiastes in Psalm 127. Uh, so if you got it before you, it's uh, quite a short psalm. We're going to read through it all. And, and even though it's short, it's an incredibly powerful psalm. It's what I found in my, my studies over the last week, longer than that, but mostly the last week. Uh, so follow along as I read Psalm 127, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, the children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of of the womb are a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, may we learn and be encouraged by your word this morning. Would you enlighten our minds to receive it, to understand it, to believe it, to build our lives around what we learn from this passage today and from all of your scripture, all of your words. Would you write these eternal truths on our hearts? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you've been to my my house before, you've probably seen how it's laid out. But uh, I I have an office in the house. uh, because I don't have an office here since we're just renting here. Uh, But from my office, you can actually hear some of the conversation from the kitchen. And that turns into be a lot of fun sometimes uh, to hear what's going on. Uh, As I was sitting in there this week, I, I heard my son Beckham saying, You can burn chocolate? I learned something new every day, um, presumably because it was accomplished just like that. He, he gained that day, though, is what I was learning from this. He gained that day knowledge, right? A, a new bit of information uh, that the wonderful substance that we call chocolate can burn. And when it does, it is no longer a wonderful substance. Now, that only becomes wisdom when you actually put that into some sort of practice, right? When, when you change it so that, you know... Next time, if he gained wisdom, and not just knowledge, he's going to do something different. Whether that means melting chocolate at a slower rate, or or paying closer attention as you go through it. Time will tell. I'll let you know how that goes. Um, But there's something in this psalm today that that we can learn. It's incredibly simple. It's it's so simple, in fact, that I am absolutely certain that, that none of us are going to walk out of here and think, you know, I, I have no idea what that means, right? We're going to understand the information that is here uh, in, in regards to knowledge. But my real prayer this week, as I've been working through this, is that we might come to Psalm 127, and then we might actually gain wisdom in how we live from it. 
that we don't just listen and lead, but we listen and apply it to our lives as we leave. So uh, that this psalm would, would actually impact the way that we work and the way that we sleep and, and, and what we do with our anxieties and our fears that we inevitably are going to feel. So I've always found, I'm kind of changing direction on you here for a minute, though, but I, I've always found that state mottos are incredibly interesting. Uh, I, I actually looked up a few this week to, to learn a few more. Uh, Michigan state motto is this. If you seek a pleasant peninsula, look about you. Okay. Uh, well done. Well done. Uh, Alabama is everything you would expect it to be. Do our Alabamans even know what your state motto is? No. You will from now on. We dare to defend our rights. I tried to do it in a southern accent for you. Uh, <laughs> The, the Kansas state motto, if you haven't noticed, it's on the flag, so everyone surely has seen it at some point, is ad astra per aspera, uh, which just means to the stars with difficulties, uh, which makes you say, yeah, but what does that mean? It just means that, you know, this is a difficult place to live, but we're going to do it, right? Something like that. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> right. You, if you've been to Alabama, you've seen it in practice, too. Uh, the city of Edinburgh in, in Scotland also has a motto, and, and their motto is actually based off of Psalm 127, the very beginning of it. The, uh, in fact, it, it's so great that it might do us good to memorize theirs. Their motto is, uh, in the Latin, is how they officially do it, Nisi Dominus Frusta, um, which I'm sure I pronounce as well as the Langevin's name. Uh, in English, what that means is, without the Lord, frustration. It's quite simple, right? Without the Lord, frustration. And, and you think back to all of uh, redemptive and human history. You know, Adam and Eve uh, in the garden, they planned to eat the fruit of the forbidden tree. And, and their thought was, we'll become like God, right? That's the information they were given. And, and instead, what happens is their plans are incredibly frustrated. And they're banished from the garden, out of the, 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 the paradise of Eden. They got to experience that. Without God, frustration. And it shows up again, right? Genesis 11, not very far later. That the Tower of Babel is going on there. The people decided, we will build a tower to heaven. We will just go up and see God, right? Uh, but, but it proves to be a vain effort because the Lord is not in it. He ends up frustrating their efforts, changing the language, and the tower never gets built. With, without God, frustration. In other words, without God's blessing of all of our work, then all of our work, all of our plans are worthless. I know, that's encouraging at first, right? Um, or to say it positively, in this sense, success is always ultimately depending upon, dependent upon God, not our efforts. That's the truth of this passage. But, but is that how we typically live? Is that functional in our life in any way? Is that, has that been applied in any wisdom sense in our understanding? You know, do you depend on the Lord for your work to succeed? For your parenting to be fruitful? For the safety of those that you love? Do you depend upon the Lord or, or, or does your faith in Jesus make no difference in the way that you plan and the way that you work? Uh, William Plummer, over a hundred years ago, he's a pastor, he, he asked this heart-gouging question in, in regards to this. He said, how many Christians sleep and arise in the morning just like atheists? And what he means is, 
Do, do we go to bed and, and wake up again with worries in our life as if God doesn't exist, as if security and, and fruitfulness is all up to me and I've got to do it? That, that's what he's getting at. And that, that's a question for, for you to answer yourself in your own heart. So then our psalm begins then with this, this image, right? We, we kind of got to understand what's going on. And, and the image is that there's a house being constructed, being built, right? Hammer, nails, although they probably weren't using those, uh, something to construct it. And, and yet we construct things in our world today. And in, in 2012, the, the city of Allen, Texas, completed construction on a $60 million high school football stadium. It has the capacity to fit 18,000 spectators, which made it, uh, at the time, the fifth largest one in the state. Uh, <laughs> tells you something of high school football. Uh, but here's what happened, though. Two years later, they actually discovered these, these cracks that were going on in it. And the cracks were such that they said, this could collapse at any moment. Um, it is unsafe for anyone to use it. No one can go into this now brand new stadium. It was uh, designed by knowledgeable engineers. They used the incredible quality of materials. They, they built with the best available technology, and, and yet they labored in vain. It, it took a few more years and $10 million more million just to make the stadium where people could enter into it again. Now, this is not to say that there's some moral reason it failed, right? I'm not trying to draw that sort of picture, but it's safe to say that the Lord was not blessing them in this project. Does that sound incredibly weird to you? Like, no, you can't say that. Uh, Because this is where we really feel it, isn't it? This is when, as Christians, we tend to deny anything spiritual is going on in the world. When we when we really kind of adopt a materialist view of everything around us. And, and what God is teaching us in this psalm, what, what he wants us to see is, is to not forget that he's still at work in the world today. Right? On the seventh day, we look back at creation beginning in Genesis. On the seventh day after God created the world, he didn't quit. Right? There's this deist idea that's like God just quit and walked off. That's not what happened. He rested. Yes, creation was complete, but he is, in fact, still working in the world today. He didn't retire. The second example in our passage, you know, the first is construction, but the second is one of a guard, a guard who stays up all night guarding the city. The idea is there's a wall around these cities, and someone would be up high on the wall and looking out, you know, for redcoats or whatever might be coming, and the point is, is that the guarding is, only, guarding is only going to save the city if the Lord wills it to save the city. See, the, the guard and the city are both dependent upon the Lord for success. Now, I, I, I know you, you hear this kind of thing in our human response at times is we want to say, well, then why even bother? Right? Why build a new house if it might not work? If we can't know it's going to succeed. Why, why even put a guard up there, right? Let's just all go to bed and we'll see what happens in the morning. Uh, you know, why, why have a guard at all? Why not just sit here and, and do nothing? 
I mean, that's, that's our response to a, a lot of biblical doctrines. You know, the, the doctrine of predestination is one people, you know, who, who haven't heard it very much tend to really hate that. It, it often leads to this similar question as you're wrestling through it. I know it did in my life. I know in many of your lives it did the same thing. But it's this idea, if, if God is sovereign, like really sovereign, like, like you seem to think is true, then, you know, even over salvation, then why share the gospel with anyone? Won't they just magically come to faith, Right. You have to get kind of snarky when you're really objecting to these things. That's, that was my experience. Uh, you know, won't, won't it just happen? Won't people just come to faith on their own? Can't I just stop caring about my neighbor and maybe they'll knock on my door eventually and tell me, hey, I believe the gospel. I mean, the simple answer is no. It's no, because we, we, we must labor. The, the Lord has, you know, has said that the harvest is plentiful, but, but the laborers are few. He called his people out into the labor. It's God who tells us to, to work hard, in fact. In Colossians 3, 23 through 34, he's saying this. He says, whatever you do, work heartily, right? That's hard, with great effort. As for the Lord and not for man. God ordains both the ends and the means. That's the solution to this dilemma. Uh, one of our, our members who has since moved away has been telling us about this conversation she's been having with her in-laws. And she's, she's like, I'm trying to stay out of it. It's all about predestination. Um, and, and it's kind of been a, a, a tough thing. And, and, but she beautifully responded to, to one of their objections and this objection in regards to why do anything at all with, with this statement. She said, well, I believe if God has determined someone's salvation, he's also determined the means by which they're saved including the prayers that I offer. It's a fantastic answer. Right? That, that's the Lord. Yes, you have to pray. I mean, yes, that's part of it. Yes, you have to share the Lord's, you know, the prayer, you know, the gospel with someone. But, but the Lord is the one who's working here. That, these are the things to understand. And I, I know that's some big theological statement there, right? But, but it comes to play in this here. Because, you know, God works in and with and through those who are working for him and for his glory. And so in terms of our passage, what this means is that builders must build. Okay, it doesn't get built if they don't. Guards must guard the city, you know, if the city is to be protected. But, but the builder and the guards must learn to not be self-reliant. They must learn to be absolutely God-reliant in, in this entire process. And this is true no matter what it is we're doing, Right? The farmer must plant the crops. The professor must turn in or submit the grants. The parent must teach the child. The soldier must diligently perform the task. But each one does so with prayer and, and while trusting God in the process. Knowing that success ultimately will, will come from God if it comes. Remember in the, the book of Nehemiah, I don't know if you've read it in a while, but uh, they're rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem, and there's these threats, people that don't want them to do so. And, and then we read in Nehemiah 4, chapter 4, verse 9, that the, 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 the two examples of our psalm are actually put into application here when, when they say this, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. They didn't just put a guard up there and say, that's good, we'll deal with this because it's a material issue, we're going to have a material solution and they didn't just, just spiritualize the whole thing. We'll just pray and maybe they won't come. You know, they did both those things and the, and the Lord answered it well. Um, it, it was an opportunity for them to place their faith in the Lord. 
See, see the, the whole point uh, of this knowledge of, of God's power is to drive us to prayer so that we are asking God to bless the work. See, Christians, it is good to dream. It, it is good to start businesses and organizations and families and, and to build buildings and to pour into people. Do these things, right? But, but marinate them in prayer. And trust the Lord to, to make them succeed if he so wills. That's what we're being driven to here. And the flip side of this is when they do succeed, remember, remember they, they are your accomplishments, right? I'm not trying to say they're not. But, but they're also the gift of the Lord for you. That means that we should be overflowing in gratitude to the Lord. Uh, you know, when your hard work does pay off, we, we know that he, he's blessed our work. We, we know that, right? He, he's blessed our, our well-thought-out thought out plans. He's, he's blessed our diligence in whatever it is we might be talking about. And that means we can give glory to God's name. Verse 2 here explains uh, what we do when we believe that it's all up to our work, right? All up to me to do everything. That, 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 the pressure. Lauren and I were talking about this this week. The idea that if you ever felt the stress, you actually start to feel it on your shoulders. As if you had an actual physical backpack on, on your shoulders. It's a bizarre experience of, of carrying the, the weight of whatever stress it is. That it actually manifests itself in that physical way. But Alright, so verse 2 here says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the breast of ang- breath, bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So the text is not saying don't get up early. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying don't work late either. I know it looks like that's what it's saying, but, but, but rather it's saying don't get up early and don't stay up late working because of anxiety. Don't let that keep you up. God says he gives his beloved sleep. He, he, you know, he can sleep, uh, the beloved here, because after working hard, he has left the results in the hands of the Lord. Truly in the hands of the Lord, and that's why he can sleep. Um, not to quote John Piper again, but yeah, I am going to quote John Piper again. He, he makes this even more clear when he says, God can perform more good for those who trust him while they sleep then they can perform with anxious labor for themselves while awake. You, you remember at the start of the summer, we actually had that sermon on uh, rest and sleep. It was before we started Summer Psalms. And, and you might remember we learned that sleep is, is divinely uh, intended for us. It's part of our design. I mean, I don't, you, you realize that, right? That's, that's not a, it wasn't just a, an after-the-fall kind of thing. God could have created us so, so that each morning after going 24 hours of working hard, you know, it's six o'clock, your watch buzzes and you're just ah refreshed. It's a new day, you know, like just immediately new energy without ever going to bed at night at all. Just reset. Yeah, it's 6 a.m. I get a refill. That could be the way it worked, but it's not like that. He didn't make us that way. Sleep is a basic human requirement and one that reminds us that the world goes on while we sleep. One that reminds us that God is actually sustaining you while you sleep. You know, there's all these things you, you can't even control when, when, when you're asleep. 
Only God never sleeps. So, so you listen, you know, you, you might have sleep issues because of caffeine. It might be because you have blue light late at night uh, from an electronic screen. It might be some medical reason going on in your life for that. But, but for a lot of us, the, the struggle to sleep is simply the result of stress and anxiety. Because it's time to rest and we're worrying about things that we could be doing, we should be doing, or worrying about things that might be happening, could be happening. You know, a, a big interview is coming up. There's a test. I don't feel prepared for it. Uh, there's a meeting in the morning, maybe, right? And, and you're awake trying to guess, what are they going to ask me? What am I going to say? What should my response be? Those, those kind of things going over and over again. That, that's what Psalm 127 is talking about here. You're stressing instead of trusting God. Anxiety and, and trusting God are like two sides of a scale. So the more... We are anxious, the less we're trusting God. The more we're trusting God, the less anxious we are. And I know that sounds harsh. There's a lot of aspects of that that I know uh, make it a little different. But, but I'll tell you, I, I know this not just from Scripture, but I know this from my own experience. I, I, I absolutely confess, I am by nature a very anxious person. I stress about the unknown. I worry about the future. I, I worry about health. I worry about this church. I worry about those who are sick or injured in the congregation. Uh, about the relationships I have with people. Is that going all right? That's really stressful. Uh, I, I worry about driving cars on highways. And I worry about riding in planes in the sky. Because nothing that heavy should go in the sky. Uh, ever. I stress about the, the weather, right? There's a gray cloud. A tornado is going to kill us tonight. I'm sure of it. That, that's just... My natural inclination. I don't like it that it's part of me. Um, that's kind of the thorn in my side. And I'll, I'll say this, though, that if you're even a little bit like me, and I know a few of you are a lot of bit like me, but if you're even a little bit like me, this psalm is a call to bring your work to a stop. It's a call to bring your stress to the Lord and to pray, Lord, I am anxious about my health. God, I'm worried a tornado's going to kill me tonight. Whatever it might be, I am worried about this meeting, whatever, right? But, but Lord, I trust you, and so I'm going to bed. And I know that you are God, whether I'm awake or not. I'm trusting you. You, you know that the point of the Sabbath, I'll bring the Sabbath into this. Um, the, the fourth commandment given is, is to honor the Sabbath to keep it holy. Um, and the idea there is, you know, on the Sabbath to, to stop working and, and rest. That's the most basic way to state that. When, when, when God originally gave this commandment to his people, their, their fear was, was not, oh, but we'll be bored if we do that, right? That's our big fear. I will be bored to death. What will we do? Um, that, that wasn't what their worry was about. Their, their worry was about provision. It, 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 to rest on the Sabbath meant, you know, not farming for a day. Or not ranching for a day. Or, um, you know, not building or not doing whatever it is you need to do on that day. And it required them to, to live by faith. To trust that God would continue to provide for them. Um, continue to provide both food and progress and whatever it is. Even as they rested. It was a moment for them to trust the Lord. The, the Sabbath, in fact, is a gift of God that nurtures faith and trust in the Lord. Sleep. Stopping each day from our work, truly mentally stopping. I know a lot of you are like, yeah, I'm off work, I'm done. But your head's still spinning, your head's still there. You know, truly mentally stopping from work is also a gift of God that nurtures our faith and our trust in God.
We need to seek that. And we're going to move on to the, the second stanza of our text. We, uh, I'll say this. We in our culture, we tend to compartmentalize our family life, right? It's one big circle. And our work life in another way. And it's this very non-Venn diagram. They just kind of bounce off, go other directions, uh, completely separate. The, the Israelites did not understand that at all. There was no separation. Their Venn diagram was very Venny. I don't know if that's a word. Um, but intimately linked. And so let me read that again. Verses 3 and 4 for you here. Um, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Now don't, don't misunderstand this. This does not guarantee that if you love God... Or if God really loves you, that you will be, you will have children. Or that you'll have a large biological family. That's not what it's talking about here. It, it does teach us that if we have children, they are a gift of the Lord, from the Lord to you, in fact. They're not ultimately yours, but they're a gift of the Lord to you, to care for, to raise, to disciple. Now, now the specific image here is, is uh, as a father who has some dispute with his enemies. Uh, and, and so this disputes at this time were, were settled at the gates, right? It sounds weird at the gates uh, of the city, but, but it functioned a lot like a courtroom today. You might remember not long ago, we were going through the book of Ruth and uh, Boaz redeemed Ruth through this exchange, this legal-like uh, exchange, and that happened at the, the city gate there is when, when that happened. Uh, and it happens that way because that's where everyone in the city kind of shows up. There's witnesses to, to make sure everything that goes down is officially uh, acknowledged. Yeah, I was there. I saw it. That's what happened. Uh, and, and so then notice that when he compares his children to arrows, he says, children of one's youth. He's looking backwards to children they had when they were younger, meaning a, a child born many years ago that is now actually a grown child. These are the ones being specifically compared to arrows. And, and these grown children are, are now at the gate. They're in the courtroom to support their father, protecting him like a quiver of arrows, like a weapon, weapon that is there to defend him. So, so keep in mind that, that the first half of our psalm is tied to the second half of the psalm. These aren't, these aren't like two separate things that just happen to be, well, put them both in Psalm 127. Uh, you know, they, they actually are intended to go together, written by the same author, with one idea in mind here. And, and the first half acknowledges the need of God to build the house and the need of God to, to protect the city. The second half is about what a benefit it is if God has built the house in the sense of children. Now, track with me, if you will. It, it was true in their day that this was written, and it's also true in our day today, that, that the family is the most basic unit in any culture. That's where most of the teaching, the discipleship, the shaping, the formation of, uh, of young children are, are happening. All children are happening. God's, God's blessing of a city or a nation begins with blessing these, these individual families. Now, don't misunderstand this. That's not to say that, that people who remain single their entire life, it's not to say that, that, that they're of some less value or, or less benefit to us. That, right? That's not what's happening here. They are, uh, uh, most certainly are, are wonderful and important to our culture, but the truth remains that as families fall apart, so does the nation. 
Because there's so much formation happening there. Because in the family, the, the next generation is either being nurtured or neglected. And so as a family flourishes, so does the nation. And, 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 nation. and so then verse 1 then informs these last few verses, three verses, uh, because remember, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So then you immediately want to apply this to, to parenting, right? To, to raising children, just as Solomon does here. Uh, j- just as the builder must build, so parents must disciple your children. In, in other words, um, discipleship is happening one way or another. Don't be surprised if your children grow up distant from God if you haven't made the Lord and his people a priority while they're growing up. If sports and academics and entertainment trump worship in your family, don't be surprised that as they grow up into adults themselves, if if similar things are going to trump worship and participation in in God's covenant family as well. don't, Don't be surprised because that's the discipleship they're receiving and it works. Don't be surprised if that's how it turns out. That's how it should turn out. Uh, on the other hand, you, you, you also can't follow some script, some program, and expect it to produce um, <clears throat> a God-loving child. That, that absoluteness is outside of your control. How your child loves the Lord is dependent upon the work of the Lord in their hearts. And, and isn't that the part that makes us incredibly anxious as parents? Uh, we're looping back around. I can't sleep at night because... It stresses us out, right? I, you mean I could, in theory, actually perfect parently or parent perfectly and still not end up with a grown son or daughter who loves the Lord? Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what this means. We, we as parents are dependent upon the Lord for faith and fruit in the lives of our children. But our prayers don't always reflect that, do they? I mean, I'll confess that sometimes, but not, not as often as it should be when I realize this. Uh, and again, verse, as verse 2 has taught us here, this, this shouldn't cause us anxiety. It should cause us to go to the Lord in prayer and trust Him and plead with Him. Right? Yes, teach your children His Word. Teach your children His ways. Teach them, teach them about God's mercy. Teach them about God's love for them, knowing that only God can give them a heart that actually loves the Lord. But this also means that, that in no amount of helicopter parenting can actually guarantee your children can be safe. That's scary, right? Then guarantee that they're going to be healthy or happy or successful. A little of this is out of our control, right? A lot of this is out of our control. And, and, and so pray for your sons and daughters. Let, let that reality of the world drive you to the Lord in prayer in the way that you, you, you bring this to the Lord. But yes, teach them the Scriptures. Bring them to church to worship. Make that part of their life. Set them an example in life and worship. You know, we, we have children in here right now, and, and that's not real common in the church nowadays uh, to do so. Rather than sending them off, though, we, we chose to do this, that rather than sending them off to some more entertaining thing uh, that they might actually enjoy a little more, um, you know, version of church that's specifically for them. And, and the reason that we've chosen to do this, or at least one of the reasons, is that you realize that your children can actually witness you worship the Lord today. <clears throat> I, I've spoken to people in their college years that are like, I've never really, like at Christmas and Easter, other than that, I've never seen my parents worship the Lord. 
There's something wonderful that your, your children can look up to the left and the right and they can see, there's my dad singing to God. There's my mom praying to the Lord. Here. Um, but yes, yes, do all these things. Disciple your children well, but, but also trust in God to bless the efforts. That's what we need to be going towards. Uh, uh, there's another application here as we, we view this passage through the lens of the New Testament. Uh, the kingdom of God, yes, expands as covenant children grow up in the church and are discipled. And, uh, but God's kingdom also expands as we proclaim the gospel to, to men and women that we know throughout the world, throughout our neighborhoods, throughout our, our natural areas of interaction. You see, see, God is building a house. We see this in scripture, but he's not being built with, with bricks or with stone. He's not using wood or vinyl siding, thankfully. Um, but, but with what we see here in 1 Peter 2.5, he, he refers to uh, what, what that verse refers to as living stones, right? That's the material that this house is being built out of. That passage there in 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves, <clears throat> like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Further, as people come to faith in Jesus, Scripture uh, <clears throat> teaches us that <clears throat> each one becomes a child of God. We collectively become the children of God as well. That's why we can refer to God as our father. Right? That's a family term. We are his sons and his daughters. And as God's covenant people, we are, we are arrows in the quiver of our father's quiver. In this sense, right, not to protect God because he doesn't need protection, but arrows that are shot out into exotic places like Malaysia or Iran or Papua New Guinea, but, but also into much less exotic places like K-State and Port Riley and really any place that ends with the word Kansas on it. I mean, that's the idea, right? Arrows are, are bringing light into darkness places, into, uh, you know, in gospel, into places where it doesn't exist. Uh, Arrows bringing hope into hopeless hearts and arrows that go in, and in faith that God will bless this work of the gospel. <clears throat> so we come to an end today. I just want to remind you, for us to remember this, that unless the Lord establishes the church, we plant the church in vain. Unless the Lord adds to the church, we evangelize in vain. Unless the Lord teaches the class we prepare in vain. Unless the Lord guides the campus ministry, we plan in vain. Unless the Lord blesses the family, we parent in vain. Unless the Lord blesses the grant, we write it in vain. Unless the Lord expands the organization, we mark it in vain. Unless the Lord heals the patient, we treat them in vain. Unless the Lord protects us during deployment, we train in vain. Unless the Lord guards us in our homes, we lock the doors in vain. Unless the Lord establishes the business, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord cares for his sheep, we shepherd in vain. Unless the Lord sustains our lives, we pursue health in vain. I think you get the idea. Unless the Lord anything, we do so in vain, you see. You understand that a presumptuous life is a tragic life. But meaningful and significant work is possible. It involves dependence on the will of the Lord and, and upon His power every single step of the way. And, and so let us never forget, you know, we're seeing this from a negative perspective in some regard, but, but let me encourage you with, the, with, with some of the more positive things. But, 
Uh, you know, first of all, Jesus says that in, in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? But you spin it around the other way, and we see that as Jesus teaches in Matthew uh, 19, 26, where he says, with God, all things are possible. And of course, Philippians 4, 13, the, the well-known verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, these efforts can succeed. The Lord often blesses the work. Pursue him. Ask him to do so. So let's work hard. But then may we rest in the Lord. May we lay your head down at night. And do not worry about the results of your labor. And as you lay down for sleep. Remind yourself of these three truths. Number one. I am not God. As you lay there tonight to go to bed. I am not God. Number two, I, desperate, I am desperately in need of the Lord. Always. Even as I lay down, I am desperately in need of the Lord to keep this breathing happening, to keep my heart pumping, to keep me alive, to keep the world spinning, to keep everything going. Number three, I am loved by Jesus no matter the results. You might bomb the test. You might really mess up the interview. But it doesn't change the fact of the gospel that I am loved by Jesus no matter the results. And then trust the Lord and drift into restful sleep. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we ask that you would build the house. We ask that you'd build your church. We ask that you would make us dependent upon you as your children and as mothers and fathers, as soldiers and professors, as students, as employees, as um, entrepreneurs. Whatever it is we do, Lord, we ask that you would teach us to depend on you, not just in spiritual things, not just in major medical things, but in all the little things. When we begin to pray over our work, when we begin to, to pray over our children, asking for your blessing in that. Lord, may we as your adopted children be arrows in your quiver, arrows for the sake of the loss and arrows for the praise of your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.